Matthew 5, 1-12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I said to you last week, we have the privilege of uh, going to the Holy Land, and uh, we're on the site where the Sermon on the Mount is. I think I've got a little slide there just to... Embarrassed my wife. Um, that's 2010, was it, uh, when we were there? So, look, we're a bit older, but uh, it's still pretty much the same. Uh, and on this site, uh, the chapel uh, of the this, this sermon on the mount, uh, it, it was built in ni- uh, 1938, and it looks down over the mountain. Uh, and if you're there, you, then you. you you get caught up in the whole thing of, you know, how did he speak to thousands of people from here? Uh, and if you read the Matthew account carefully, and it's kind of, you, you need then to read the Luke account of the Sermon on the Mount beside it, uh, the Matthew one is very clear that he seems to turn away from the crowd and go to teach the disciples. Uh, so it might have been that there's just 12 or a few hangers-on around him uh, for the Sermon on the Mount, and that's why it's recorded in, in so much detail. But then the, the whole idea of there being crowds and that, I remember the, the guide that was teaching us uh, when we were there was saying that the way the wind works from the Sea of Galilee it creates a kind of amphitheater, so his, his voice would, would travel uh, wherever he stood to, to, to suit the, the wind direction and could reach uh, quite a few hundred, maybe thousand people. Uh, but then you end up with a ridiculous thing that you get from Monty Python's Life of Brian where somebody says, uh, blessed are the cheesemakers. You know, wh- wh- why is he saying blessed are the cheesemakers? And as this guy stood at the back of the crowd mishearing Jesus all the way through it. And of course, you're not irreligious enough to have uh, seen the, the Life of Brian. But unfortunately, I'm a bit of a Monty Python buff from when I was a, a kid. But it, it does create that sense of questioning. And it's not a bad thing to do when you're reading the scriptures, particularly if you've been there, or even if you like atlases, to, to think into the situation. Uh, and um, it's Josephus, who was a historian of that day, uh, just after Jesus, uh, recorded that uh, Galilee and Galileans were ripe for a new message. They uh, and the area around Galilee, he said in his record, and this isn't scripture, this is history, uh, that there were 204 towns and villages 
around the Galilee area alone. I mean, that's, that's a lot of towns and villages. And it says, he said, and he wasn't talking about Jesus in this history, he said it was ripe for new messages. Uh, and so Jesus came into that situation. It says very clearly in Matthew chapter 4, which is just before the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 4 it says he, mo- he moved from Galilee to Capernaum, which is in there somewhere, top left-hand corner, if you can see it. Uh, Capernaum, yeah, you just see it in the middle of the sea, the, the word of it, top, top left. Uh, so he moved to Capernaum to live for a while from Galilee, and he never went back to Galilee to live. Uh, and it's interesting that he started and launched uh, his uh, kind of a manifesto uh, with this Sermon on the Mount uh, from this area, which seemed to be ripe for a new message. Uh, I'm just going to quote Josephus. Uh, this region here is about 50 miles by 25, so about four times the Isle of Wight, so not, not huge. Um, and it's densely populated. But Josephus said, quote, Galileans were by nature open to change and never short of courage. And that was his summing up of the type of people from this region. And it's a place where Jesus delivered his Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to read it yourselves again, it's Matthew 5 through to Matthew 7. It's quite concise, but uh, we had a good look at it uh, last week when we were talking about uh, the, the uh, being uh, being different uh, and being a bit different particularly to uh, religious people and how Christians should be distinctive. That's just a snapshot of last week's. Uh, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, is uh, teaching us who we are in him. He is, he is teaching us who we are in him. He is teaching us the qualities we have in him and the, the blessings we have and the blessings we w- will have. So I'm just uh, going to put a slide of the Beatitudes up again just so that we can get it back in our, our heads. Not that way. You've gone the wrong way. Um, you have to give her some royalties if you start putting her, my wife up too often. Um, so blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm just going to go down the left-hand side. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I'll get back to the second part B of each of those when we speak about the, uh, the blessings we have and will have. Uh, so it's quite unlike what a beatitude of the world's way may be. And might, they might say, blessed are those who uh, earn a fortune, or blessed are those uh, who have a house in London and uh, a holiday home in the Isle of Wight, or, or blessed are those who win the lottery, or blessed are those who are celebrities. That's very popular these days, of, of blessed are those. But we could see from our news today of the effect of some uh, some. Uh, overt attention as, as celebrities. Uh, I'm al- alluding to the presenter who committed suicide uh, two days ago or yesterday. So Jesus, uh, the, 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 the Beatitudes of the world would look very different to that. And Jesus is giving a very radical statement and he's starting in this region which is ripe for him to say something new. Uh, and he uh, says uh, that 
this is a kind of upside-down kingdom that I'm talking about, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So let's look at the three Beatitudes through the, the, the three phrases I've just given you. Uh, who we are in him, uh, who uh, the qualities we have, uh, and the blessings we have. So who we are in Christ. Well, simply, we are, uh, if you call yourself a Christian, and a quick message to anybody who's come seeking, is if you're still seeking, then please don't feel I'm not uh, addressing you in this service. There's certainly, there's always room in every service for somebody to come to the Lord and, and receive Him on that point in time. But for those of us who are Christians, it's really an abbreviation for Christ's ones. That's what we are. Christ's ones. And the Beatitudes were taught, as I said right at the start, to his disciples. The people that were gathered around him were followers. They were believers. And as I've got disciples around me here today, you can imagine uh, that he's talking to us. Uh, And we must start by saying that what they're not directed to is a supergroup of Christian a supergroup of, of bishops or, or monks or, or nuns or uh, elders. or it's, it's not a Christian supergroup or a, a bunch of super spiritual guys that we might think, oh, well, that's them. That's a, that, that we're not on that pedestal. He's talking to us, to the disciples, the guys, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the guys who were gathered around him who he had called to follow him. The Beatitudes are for those who are in Christ. Uh, And as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you learn uh, that it was a call to be countercultural. That phrase was, I got off the front of a book uh, from John Stott, which was probably written about 30 years ago, uh, and it was called, about the Sermon on the Mount, and was called the countercultural Christian. Uh, So Jesus was being countercultural in this Sermon on the Mount, uh, not just the Beatitudes, but in the whole of the Sermon. Uh, and it's amazing today because even within our religious, Christian religious world, uh, it seems to be of a day that we are trying to be the same as the culture that we're in. Uh, and, and I'm talking about some of the living in love and faith discussions that's going on. If you don't know about it, then you've not missed much. But um, I'm talking about how some of the discussions that are going on is trying to make us fit in with the culture. Whereas the Sermon on the Mount was calling us to be countercultural. And for some reason, that was what made Christians attractive in those days. Look at the effect of, of the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were added to their number as he stood up and preached. So th- th- that is countercultural. The effect of the message is that it is attractive. Even if people don't believe in God, I said this last week, even if people don't believe in what's coming out of our mouths, then we can be attractive by who we are, more so than the religious people who, who, who maybe aren't as attractive in, in how they look as a, as a, as a body. Um, I don't really want to get too much into last week, but just a, a word about us, this being a call to be countercultural, and it's not just countercultural to the world because of what's going on, it means being countercultural to the religious world as well. 
such as phrases like, we are salt and light, we are the light of the world, uh, a light on a hill, uh, rather than a light that would be under a bush. Uh, we are uh, the salt of the earth. Um, as I said, this, this Sermon on the Mount is a kind of a, the closest thing to a manifest, manifesto that you will ever get from Jesus' lips. Uh, it's, and, and when Jesus said uh, in that phrase in Matthew 2, uh, Matthew 5, 21, he adds there, 4 or 5 down, uh, Matthew 5, 21, when he said, you have heard of it of old, but I say to you, when he said that phrase to those people around him, uh, when you have heard of old, they're thinking Moses. They know that of old was Moses. So, and he wasn't knocking Moses. He was saying, I am the new. You've heard of old, and, and he does actually run through the Ten Commandments and add onto them, almost raising the bar, I think I said last week. Uh, so he uh, said, you've heard it of old, but I say unto you, and he's saying, I am the new. This is the New Testament. That was the Old Testament. Uh, and it's a, about Jesus declaring to us who we are in him. For those who receive him, uh, he, he, through his Holy Spirit, he, he takes hold of us, comes and reigns within us. We've got loads of courses which express this. Um, now, I want to say just briefly, because I thought I haven't got an illustration of how this actually fits together, because I'm just about to give you a very list. Don't do it yet, Tristan. Um, a, a long a list of just who we are in Christ, which is meant to be a, a kind of rapid gunfire thing that you just can't take in, okay? But it's going to give that impression of who we are in Christ. But before that, uh, you might say, well, how can we be all these things? Because uh, I'm certainly not most of those things that you're saying. If you just knew anything about my life, I'm talking for you, I'm holy. But um, if, if, if you're saying, uh, that was a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> if you're saying this is just isn't me, uh, then this is why it is you. If you can imagine a, a, a negotiator in, in an ACAS meeting, like say a, a, your union rep goes to ACAS and he's making a negotiating for you or she uh, to, uh, to, to get you a pay rise and some benefits, more holidays. Uh, and, and that union rep comes out of there and they've done a great job. And you're sitting here as employees of that St. Paul's Church that's in Paul's organization, say, uh, and the union rep comes back and tells us what they've gained for us. They've gained all those things that you, you, you wanted. And we weren't even there. That person negotiated on our behalf benefits that we could never have dreamt of because they were able to stand in the court, if you like, of Achaz and represent us. When Christ was on the cross, he was representing us. He was, substitution is a better word, he was taking our place. And so we gain everything that he was, and he got everything that we have done wrong. Okay? So that's why in Christ we can be more than we, we think that we are ever good enough to be. So I'm just going to run down uh, some of these because I want us just to get that feeling of, wow, what a wonderful Savior we have. 
and most of these are lifted straight from the Sermon on the Mount. So when I'm saying a verse, something like 5-7, I mean Matthew 5, chapter 7. If it's not from the Sermon on the Mount, I'll give you a bit more information about where it's from. Uh, it might be better if you listen to this again on the tape and have a, a notepad out, because it's very powerful stuff. If you don't like listening to my voice, Joyce Myers, if you Google uh, this phrase, uh, who we are in Christ, and put her surname in, she does a very uh, good exegesis of it as well. So uh, Galatians 2 verse 20 says, uh, Who am I? Christ lives in me, and I live by faith in him. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, we are righteous. Uh, 5, 7, we are merciful. We are forgiving as we have been forgiven. 6, 12, uh, we judge not that we may be not judged. 7, 1, we are pure in heart, Matthew 5, 6, 5, 8. We are peacemakers, 5, 8. Uh, we are the light of the world, uh, 5, 14. We are the salt of the earth, 5, 16. We have treasures in heaven where our hearts are also, 6, 21. We have a Father in heaven, hallowed be His name, uh, 6, 9. We are aware of false prophets, Wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew seven fifteen. I'd like to expand on that a bit, but uh, I'll leave that maybe for another day, our private conversations. But we are aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. That's straight from the Sermon uh, on the Mount. We are wise men who build our house upon the rock, and that rock, of course, is Christ Jesus. That's seven twenty four. We are free from the law of sin and death, Matthew 5.20, and that's expanded in Romans. It, uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, another one, Tristan, next page. There we are. We are free from the law of sin and death, Matthew 5.20, and if you go to Romans 8.2, that amplifies uh, on that a bit. We are greatly loved by God, John 3.16, of course, uh, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Philippians 4.13. Uh, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, Romans 8.37. Greater is he who is in us than we are in the world, 1 John 4.4. 4. Uh, and we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So the blessedness that we have is based on who we are in Christ Jesus because we gain the benefits of who he is uh, in the Trinity. And we are jointly, as I said last week, didn't I, jointly and severally liable with him. He gets all the, the stuff that we did on the cross, and we gain all the benefits of who he is. So isn't that marvelous? That lead us want to worship, which we'll do in a, in a minute, when we, we just say what a wonderful God we have, what, what a powerful message this is of who we are, not because of any goodness that we've done. We can't earn anything more than what he has already given us. We can't do anything more. That's the message of grace, to gain more favor with him. He already loves us more than a loving father could ever love. So secondly, uh, we mentioned the qualities we have. So that was the, who we are and now the qualities we have. Let's flip it on once, Tristan. 
Now this is uh, addressed to those disciples, and he wasn't saying there are eight groups of people with all of those qualities, the, the poor, uh, the merciful, the meek, uh, the righteous, the peacemakers. He wasn't saying these are eight groups of people. And maybe one of us will say, well, I'm probably a peacemaker, but I'm not sort of too keen on the persecuting thing. Uh, but So you, you, it's not about picking and choosing which of the eight you fit into. These are eight qualities of one people, the Christian. This is us, eight qualities of the one uh, person. Uh, some Bible scholars um, uh, believe that each beatitude leads to the next. Um, John Chrysostom, uh, born in Antioch in 347, uh, said it was like a chain, like a chain reaction that, that, that led from one to the other. Some other scholars say it's like, it's like, a, a, like a ladder. Just put the, uh, the ladder up there. Uh, and th- these pictures may help us memorize the eight, but I think uh, that it, it oversimplifies what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is obviously speaking in poetic language, uh, not graphic language. He's not saying that these are steps that you start poor in spirit, you mourn. And there does seem to be, and I do believe there is an order, uh, and I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, and maybe the ladder helps you see that that there does seem to be some uh, progression. But if there is progression, it's almost simultaneous, some of it. You know, so the first three happen at conversion. And I'll explain that hopefully a little bit better in a second. So let's, let's, let's just look at what the sequence might be. The first three are a group, uh, and the last four are a group, and the middle one is about hunger and thirsting. For righteousness. So, so say, let's look at the first three. Uh, if you admit that you are spiritually uh, hopeless without Christ, if you get to that place in your life where where you know that you're at rock bottom, uh, that you need to reach beyond yourself. Just talking to Alex before I came in and asked if I could mention his name. But say someone who's caught uh, in in the grip of of alcohol. And they talk about being so rock bottom that they can't help themselves. It could easily apply to someone who's caught in the grip of porn or somebody who's caught in the grip of even wanting to be famous because that can be uh, a, a drug which seems to drive people as, as well these, these days. So there t- comes a time, hopefully, for some people uh, to realize that they are in a pit that's called rock bottom and you are at that point poor in spirit. There's nothing you can do to help yourself. And then in the process, if it's a process, you, you mourn and weep from this person that you have become in that grip of that pit uh, of rock bottom. And as you weep and reach out to God, you, the meekness that comes with you being in that point of saying, I can't help myself, he says, blessed are the meek. And he reaches out. And at that point, that person, uh, which was you at one time, inherits the kingdom of heaven, inherits the kingdom of God. You become a, a new person in Christ. And that's why I said it can be a simultaneous type picture. Uh, but And it comes through being meekly 
crying out to Christ and saying, I can't do this alone anymore. And that brings you to a place of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And what is it like when you hunger? Well, you don't hunger for what, what you have. Uh, you, you, throughout your life, you may have uh, hungered for, for, for things that certainly didn't satisfy you. But you hunger and thirst for more of Christ as he reaches out to you. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so you end up in that place where he is sufficient for you because you finally received a place where you realize that I am the problem here. It's my sin. It's my selfishness. It's my uh, self-helpness that that I can be self-sufficient. And you realize that I am the problem here. And as soon as you get to that point and receive Christ, you hunger and thirst for more of the one who can satisfy you. Uh, and, and that is uh, a picture of a process of coming to faith or, faith or inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And so what happens then? Um, what about... Uh, you, 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 uh, what about the peacemakers? Sorry, I've lost my process here. I've, I've, uh, pure in heart. So, and that's, again, that's probably the biggest one where we think, well, that's certainly not me. But in Christ, because he is pure and we inherit what he has done for us, we are pure in heart and we will be satisfied. That's the hunger of searching for him is satisfied. Uh, And then what about the peacemakers? Well, that's not peace lovers. We're not talking about the sort of hippies of the 60s saying, hey, uh, peace, man. You know, it's it's not that kind of peace lovers. It's it's peacemakers. And peacemakers actually are are not so peacemaking when you explain what it might be. A peacemaker is uh, is not like the ACAS conciliator who would represent you and, and, and bring peace between two sides. Uh, a peacemaker is someone who challenges uh, their friends, their relatives, their neighbor, their acquaintances, their school chums, uh, to realize that we are actually at enmity with God. Romans 8, 7, uh, we are at enmity with God, which just basically means that until we come to faith, we are hostile to God. And you may say, well, actually, I'm not that hostile. I'm just, you know, I can't, I can't see it as a big deal. But the person who ignores him is, is hostile to God because he calls us to come. He calls us to receive him. He longs to, to transform us. And, and so that we are all hostile to him uh, until we find and receive him. Um, so that was Romans 8, verse 7, which explains that in a bit more detail. Um, and uh, so the, the, the peacemaker uh, will, ex- will challenge people to not be hostile and to, not, to, to make peace with God. That's a better way of, of putting it, to make peace with God. And how would we react to this in our uh, prayers? Well, it should lead us to pray for our friends and our relatives and our school chums and our work colleagues uh, and uh, that they may make peace with Christ. Uh, so, and there will be persecution that comes from this. 
Uh, I got an email from, is that the next slide from that little girl? Uh, next one. Next one. Oh, I've, I've done that. Uh, they, uh, I got this email from uh, somebody, a, a group asking me to pray for Leah Shabaru. Some of you will know about Leah. She was one of the schoolgirls who was kidnapped by the Boko Haram uh, two years ago. I think it's exactly two years uh, since she was kidnapped. Now, she is the only one, I believe, of the schoolgirls who were kidnapped who has not been returned safely. They believe and health workers say she is alive and well. Uh, This email was asking me to pray for her. Uh, She is still held. Why is she still held? Because she wouldn't convert to Islam. She wouldn't say the right words that got her released. And so she is being held. She has been persecuted. Now, I'm not meaning to shift it out to Nigeria so that isn't that awful, because we can be persecuted here just in the way uh, the people treat us as we, uh, as we share the message of faith with the others. Uh, the church can persecute us by, the, by saying that we're different to how the church, the church, the direction the church is trying to go at the minute. That's persecution. Um, but we can pray for Leah later. It's calling us in the very last two lines. At your church, please pray for Leah. Just that, wouldn't it be wonderful if she was released and, and she's able to proclaim of, of what her story of standing up for Christ uh, wherever she is in Nigeria. So persecutions will come uh, because of who you are in Christ, because of the qualities you have uh, as believers, qualities of Christ. Uh, so thirdly, the blessings we have. Is that the next slide? Hopefully. The blessings we have. It's a Greek word called makarios. Uh, we translate it more commonly as the word happiness, which doesn't do it uh, justice. Um, and I don't I haven't time to really go into the detail of makarios, but it's not happiness, but happiness is part of it. Uh, a joy is maybe better. Uh, but uh, the second half of each beatitude, and you remember I read down the left side, I'm now going to go down the right side. Uh, the second half of each beatitude states the blessings the Christian has. Uh, they possess the kingdom of heaven. They inherit the earth. They are comforted. Uh, they hunger is satisfied. They receive mercy. They see God. And if you think that's only seven, then it's because it's top and tailed with the first one, the kingdom of heaven, top and tails the, uh, the Beatitudes. So, and this is part B of the Beatitudes. It contains assurances uh, of, of the blessedness that we have by inheriting the kingdom. It's the blessed, blessedness that each of us as pilgrims, as we walk with Christ, uh, have in him. The blessedness of, of being uh, a Christian speaks of the joy that's, that's constant, uh, like, like waves that are coming in on, on, on the shore. Uh, it's pro- pro- probably not good to use uh, waves analogy at the minute with Storm Dennis bashing our shores, but it's meant to be a, a, a picture uh, of, of a constant uh, flow of blessing that we gain by being in him, uh, flowing, never static, and um, it never stops if we continue 
to walk uh, with Christ. So, in other words, uh, you inherit the earth, you are comforted, uh, you hunger for righteousness, and it's satisfied, uh, and you receive mercy, uh, and you see God, and because you are holy, as he is holy, uh, and we are called the children of God. That's all on the B side, uh, uh, the right-hand side of the Beatitudes. Uh, So what does it mean in the Sermon on the Mount? What does it mean? Because, as I said earlier, sometimes you might feel, well, you know, when it's hard, it doesn't feel like this. Billy Graham said, the character which we find in the Beatitudes is beyond all question nothing less than our Lord's character put into words. The Beatitudes is beyond all question nothing less than our Lord's own character put into words. What does he mean by that? He is the one who lived perfectly, as I said, and yet uh, he was merciful, and yet he received no mercy as he went to the cross, so that uh, we could be the ones who receive mercy. He was pure in heart, pure in every way, not just in heart, so that we will see God. Jesus was pure, but the Father turned away from him, and he says, why have you forsaken me? So that we could be drawn near, as he who knew no sin became sin for us. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. He was meek in every way. He was came from heaven and gave it all, meek enough to give it all so that we can inherit all that he is. It's a call for us to abide in him, to stay attached to him just like a vine would be attached, a vine branch would be attached to the vine. I'll just finish with a story of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, a um, famous preacher of the last century, born in 1899, died in 1981, uh, and a f- wonderful preacher, many, many books, which I'm sure some of you uh, are aware of, Bible commentaries, particularly on Romans. Um, he, he was a doctor, a medical doctor, uh, and he felt the Lord was calling him from that uh, to continue preaching full-time and speaking full-time. And he gave up 95% of his salary. His earnings after he became a preacher compared to his earnings before was 95% less. He lived off 5%. And a journalist uh, spoke to him, uh, was questioning him about uh, about his journey, uh, and said, was it worth it? And in response to the man, he said, how can you ask me, was it worth it? I've given up nothing, and I have gained everything. And he continued to tell him about who we are in Christ. A man who was living off 5% of what he had before said he has gained everything. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a call for us to abide in him, in Christ, uh, that one who 
is reaching out to us and saying, stay with me and I will do this through you and in you. How can we abide in in him? Well, we abide in our prayers. We abide as we read in the scriptures uh, throughout the week. Uh, And we abide as we remain faithful in praise and in the way we worship, not just here, but throughout the week. We abide by being faithful in serving him in the needs that we see in others around us uh, and uh, in being peacemakers in the way we witness for him. Oh, the blessedness of being a Christian. To God be the glory, we sang. Great things he has done. We're going to sing a song now uh, which says, uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it's that little phrase, Every blessing he pours out, I'll turn back to you. So let's just do that now as we, as we sing and reach out to him. Every blessing he pours out, let's turn back to him in praise. Amen.